Hi, everybody. David Noor. I want to welcome you to episode two of the Curve Benders podcast. I'm going to focus this one on really setting the tone for future ones to come, which is uh, the, really the focus of future of work. So I'm elated you're here. Uh, I'm going to keep these short. I want to keep these concise. I want to give you some insights and hopefully some things to think about. Uh, and moving forward, we'll do more interviews. But I wanted to set the next two or three as foundational for you to understand kind of where I'm coming from, what I'm thinking about in writing this next book, and the key ideas that I'm researching, I'm struggling, I'm uh, asking a lot of questions. And somebody asked me today, why do you write books? And it's really this natural curiosity. And every one of my books starts with a question. And, and right now, I'm thinking a lot about what will the future of the way we work, we live, we play look like? What if I were to plan uh, for the next decade or two? What skills, what knowledge, what behaviors do I need to gain? Uh, similarly, if you had, if you kind of knew 20 years ago what you know now, uh, what skills, what knowledge, what behaviors would you focus on? Would you gain? Would you be doing? Um, I want to get away from transactional tasks and let's do uh, this tool implementation or let's read that book or that's all important, that's valuable today. But again, it's very transactional. And I'm trying to get more into that transformational mindset of uh, that intersection. I've always said in my coaching, your passion, what the market needs, and your competency. And we're going to talk about the intersection of those three and where do you need to plan today skills, knowledge, behaviors, uh, mindset, skill set, tool set in your personal and professional growth. And if you haven't heard me say this, I'm going to say it. I'm going to repeat it. So you get tired of hearing me say it, the day you stop growing, the day you stop learning is the day you become complacent. And the day you become complacent, you're no longer valuable to your biggest asset, which is your portfolio of relationships. That's your colleagues inside your organization. That's your customers that you serve. That's your partners that you work with. That's your partners you go to market with. Those are all relationships that are critical to your success. So... The biggest thing I want for you in this podcast series, in this book, in the keynote, in the workshops, in the assessment tool we're building and deploying is to start thinking about your personal and professional growth journey over the next two decades. What do you need to think about? What do you need to do? What do you need to work on that will help you really smooth out that journey? So if you one really good way to think about that journey is I want you to think about uh, sports, either you've played or if you've got kids that play, that's very dynamic, right? So think of um, soccer, think of hockey, think of uh, games where um, it's, it's, again, it moves. There's no timeouts and, right? It's, it's, and, and most people who play those games would agree that 90% of those games are played when you don't have the ball, right? So in soccer, where's my teammate going to be that I can put the ball there? In lacrosse or hockey, where can my teammate run on to and be in the best position for me to put the ball or the puck to them? That's exactly how I want you to see the market. Dynamic, moving, you're not always going to have the ball. So what do you need to do to always, to consistently prepare? And in working with a very diverse global clients, that's one of the things I'm most excited about our work is from hospitality to manufacturing to technology to services to financial services to professional services, 
what we found is, again, purely unscientific, about three quarters of them, about 75% of them are going through some sort of transformation right now, right? A lot of it is digital. A lot of it is process oriented. A lot of it is people and skills and knowledge and really thinking through what they have. Here's what you need to hear. 65% of those of the change efforts, of the evolution efforts, of the transformation efforts are going to actually fail to meet the desired outcome. The board, the executive, the CEO, the senior leadership team all have this vision of where we want to go. And we're going to try a whole lot of things. A lot of them are just not going to work. Of the ones that succeed, we estimate only about a quarter of them are going to sustain some sort of gain over some period of time. So one out of four of the initiatives that are right are, are you know we're going to deem successful, whether it's we're going to deploy a new ERP system. I've got one of the clients that are doing that. We've got another client that we're going to, you know, we're implementing AI solutions, right? Of all those that are successful, not of all the ones they're going to do, but the ones that are successful, only a quarter of them are going to sustain any kind of gain over time. And here's the crazy part. Adoption of these ideas, adoptions of new systems, adoptions of new processes dramatically drop off, like by a third, when they move from the executive tier, the what I call the mahogany row, to the mailroom. Right. So I call that initiative fatigue. We do a lot of initiatives. We launch a lot of initiatives and very few really gain acceptance, gain traction, gain buy in, gain adoption to really become part of the fabric of the organization. So think about it a second. In that dynamic field, the soccer field or the hockey, you know, uh, uh, area environment that I talked about, the ice, think about that in our business environment. Would you believe that the iPhone, the iPad, the Kindle, 4G, Lyft, WhatsApp, Airbnb, Oculus, Spotify, Nest, Bitcoin, Blockchain, Square, Instagram, and Snapchat did not exist in 2006, just a few years ago? If I told you you'd be laying in bed and, and watching the news, buying whatever you wanted, reading whatever you wanted, connect with people on the other side of the world, all on a piece of glass, you would think I'm crazy. But look at how we use tablets. Similarly, we believe this fourth industrial revolution, right? Technologies like blockchain, like drones, like cryptocurrency, like AI and machine learning are going to continue to dramatically change the way we browse, the way we store things, video calls, operating systems, social, messaging, payments. So if you think of Web 2.0 today, I use Chrome. I use Dropbox. We use Google Drive. I Skype, right? I've got iOS on my phone. Obviously, we're still on Facebook and Twitter, WhatsApp, and, 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 and PayPal. If you haven't heard of Brave or Storage, S-T-O-R-J, or Expertee, or Steemit, which is a social site, or Kasha, Status, Signal, Ripple, Conti, these are all Web 3.0 technologies driven by blockchain that I think you need to look into. So it was fascinating. I recently saw a sign, a store sign that says the future started yesterday and we're all already late. And it's very true. And one of the, one of the approaches, one of the concepts, one of the ideas that I'm looking at is how do we bring systems thinking into more of our everyday work. 
So again, this is one of those things that if you haven't heard of, I would highly encourage you, look it up, systems thinking. I recently spoke at a uh, agricultural industry, Produce Marketing Association is one of my clients and I've worked for and I've spoken at several kind of agribusiness uh, companies. And what's fascinating is this creation of systems of systems in the agribusiness where think of a tractor, that's a product. If that tractor now sends data to the cloud, that's a smart product. If that tractor sends data to a cloud that you can now access through mobile devices and do something with, that's a connected product. When the tractor can speak with planters and tills and combines that harvest, now you've got product systems. When the farm equipment, the tractor, can talk to the weather data system, that can talk to seed optimization system, that can talk to the irrigation system and sensors in the field that tells you how much rain it's, it's absorbed, now you've got this farm management system and you've got multiple systems talking to each other. So what's happening is imagine systems thinking in business models. Imagine systems thinking in how we get work done. Imagine systems thinking in how we learn, how we grow, how we evolve, how we get and go to market with new products and services. And that's one of the key chapters, key sections of the Curve Vendors book. The other thing I look at is really some kind of a timeline. Now, in all, in all transparency, I'm not a futurist. I've never sold myself as such. But I can't help but think of a timeline of emerging science and technology that is going to, again, dramatically change the way we live, the way we work, the way we play. So the way I want you to think of this is really three phases. Present is it's, it's existing, right? It's, it's happening now. You see it. And, and there's a whole lot of examples where appropriate all around us. Probable, right? I really want you to think about probable for the next decade. So if you think of 2030, right? What is probable? What is I can extrapolate? I can really think moving things forward. And that becomes really the next decade. And then I really want you to think bigger than that, which is what is possible. And possible is, you know, beyond the next decade, beyond the next 10 years. None of us have a crystal ball. But if you extrapolate things forward and how fast this technology and implementation of technology in our everyday lives, right, are happening, I think you can see what's po possible. So again, the present, which is what's happening now all around us, probable, the next decade that we have some visibility to, and then possible, which is beyond that. So think of that as our timeline. And then I want you to think of, again, science and technology, which is very prevalent, much more prevalent in our lives than you can imagine, in five buckets. And again, I talk more about this in the book. We're going to put things up in the blog. We're going to put up uh, slides and images and, and references that you can go back and look at. But I want you to think of digital. So, so your mobile phone, right? Outnumbering people. That is happening today. Uh, cryptocurrency on digital. Uh, internet connected toothbrushes. Have you seen these that can track for parents how long kids, not just kids, but even as adults you're brushing? Those are all present now. They're all happening now. Um, I was at a hotel. I travel extensively. I was at a hotel where they've got NFC, uh, near field communication uh, gym. 
So as you walk in, they give you a a, a, a wrist band. And as you work out with different devices, the equipment picks up your exercise. And before I left, they handed me a summary of how many reps I did and how much weight and how long. And it, it actually gave you some predictive analytics of here's how many calories we think you burned while you were here. And right here's how you sustain that over some period of time. I don't know about you. Have, have you ever made um, New Year's resolutions and went ahead and bought that uh, that you know exercise equipment that becomes a really expensive coat hanger by the second week of January? What if there was a way that kept you motivated and kept you going and kept you exercising, not just past January, but throughout the year? And, and digital and NFC is an example of what is present in our lives that can make that happen, right? So digital is one. Nano. Nano. Antibacterial nanoparticles in clothing. Nanoparticles in cosmetics and sunscreen. Printed plastic electronic circuits. Those are all examples of nano. Neuro. Neuro. Brain fingerprinting used in courts. Uh, think of, uh, again, neuroimaging of active brain areas. You've seen examples of those things. I think neuro and the way uh, we're wired, the way we think, I think is going to become a lot more prevalent. Next one, green. Green is renewable energy. Green is uh, cheap, concentrated solar, uh, community grids, energy harvesting. These are all examples of green. And the last is bio, gene therapy, uh, DNA dating agencies. Um, think of genetic testing for inherent diseases. Those are all examples of bio. So again, very quickly, timeline, present, probable, possible, five buckets, digital, nano, neuro, green, and bio. These are fields you cannot afford to ignore. These are the things you need to think about. What are we doing today? Where are we going that's going to dramatically change the way we work. Um, by the way, if you think about how we've created value, so I want to make this practical and pragmatic as well. Ever since the beginning of time, ever since we're hunters, growers, warriors, right? The way we've created wealth, the way we've created value is fundamentally, I can put most of it in two buckets. One is labor arbitrage, you getting other people to do something on your behalf. The other one is turning intellectual property ideas into intellectual capital, right? ideas into software, ideas into products and services, ideas that others will pay for and use for their benefit. So as you think about those three buckets of what are you passionate about, what does the market need, what are you you know, competent, capable, what are you really good at that you can deliver, the intersection of those ideally needs to be somewhere around, right? How can I create something? How can I innovate something that improves other people's conditions that they're willing to pay for? Right. And, and, and a big part of what I'm talking about in curve benders is relationships. And I'm a huge believer that those will continue to become a big part of value creation moving forward. Um, throughout these podcasts, I'm going to give you names of some really good books. And I also hope to have some of these authors uh, on as guests. Uh, one of them and a big inspiration for me in writing this book is a guy named Sandy Og. Sandy, uh, if, you've, if you've never heard of him, look him up, Sandy O-G-G. He's written a book called Grow. Sandy used to be the chief people officer at Unilever and then a partner at Blackstone. And Sandy's uh, really uh, packaged, really has codified this idea of linking talent 
to value. Said another way, uh, what Sandy figured out at Blackstone was, as a firm, arguably one of the most successful private equity firms in the world, they do a ton of due diligence on finding undervalued assets and buying them cheap and adding value and selling them you know, at a, at a premium. So um, what he found out was we weren't doing nearly that level of due diligence on the talent side. And specifically, who are the most valuable roles? Who are the most critical roles in an organization? How do we find them? How do we love on them? How do we give them the resources to really drive not incremental value, but exponential value? And the reason you should care is Sandy in Grow and Sandy around his work, and I've become a student of his work. I would encourage you to do the same. He talks about two types of people, value creators who are at the edge of where the organization, the enterprise creates value for its target audience and value enablers, HR, finance, IT, product development, all those critical roles, enabler of that value creation. So value creators can't do what they do by themselves without the enablers, but they're also at the edge of where business happens, at the edge of where value is created, at the edge of where the market demand is at its highest. So my question of you is over the next decade, are you going to be a value creator or a value enabler? Not right or wrong, just pick a lane, pick a path, and really develop some incredible competencies in your chosen field. If you're not in a field that you feel is growing, if you're not in a field where you genuinely believe, if you are in a field where you genuinely believe the mundane tasks are not creating value and they're going to get replaced, uh, now is the time to start thinking about how to pivot, how to pivot your personal professional growth, how to pivot your learning, how to pivot the way you add value in the market. So uh, I recently uh, read a fascinating article that's something like 40% of revenue for top line revenue for law firms and accounting firms are going to go away in the next five years. And they pointed to several examples because a lot of those are perceived to be mundane, right? Reviewing documents. Important, yes, but just mundane. And they talked about a AI engine that can scan 10,000 sheets, 10,000 pages, scan it, analyze it, really highlight anomalies. You ready? in eight seconds. So am I still going to pay you 250 or 450 an hour to just review documents for me when I can pay? And and the company who's got the engine is actually looking at deploying it in cloud services and making it vastly available. So if I can upload a massive scan document or a massive document and have this thing give me, again, the insights I'm after, what value do you really bring in your ability to look at documents, right? So again, a lot of, it's, I'm not trying to scare anybody about out of a job. It, it just, there's, there's all kinds of predictive data that says that mundane tasks are going to go away. And if you're in that bucket now, it might be really good timing to think about how to evolve your skills, your competencies, your knowledge, your behaviors to really become part of the future, not unfortunately relics of the past, 
right? Not a, you know, most of us are getting away from using cash. Most of us are not really getting in taxis, right? What, what do we do? We call Uber, which again, wasn't around just a few years ago. Uh, you know, Airbnb, much more prevalent, um, you know, mobile pay from my Apple watch and from other devices, much more prevalent. Look around you, look around you to what are the, some of the things that we're no longer using that, that are just not prevalent. And if you're, you, what you don't want to be is the best saddle maker, right? When everybody else is driving cars. So think about your skills, your knowledge that need to be kept fresh moving forward for you to remain relevant. So one of the sections that I'm talking about in the book is skills needed on that note in this kind of future workplace and kind of future of talent. And I want you to think about four or five buckets. So the computational world where massive increase in sensors and processing is going to make the world a much more programmable kind of system and place. By the way, this is all uh, attributed to Institute for the Future. That reference, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm sharing with you here, kind of future work skills, if you will, of of uh, the next decade, the super structured organization, so social technologies that, uh, you know, drive new forms of production and value creation. We're going to become increasingly, despite of Brexit, despite of, uh, you know, national pride, globally connected world. So you know, increased global interconnectivity is going to put very diverse, and it's going to put Diversity is going to put adaptability at the center of the organization's operations. And I'm not talking about ethnic or gender, but really diversity of thought. You're going to have all kinds of new media. So this uh, ecology of new media from new communication tools that are going to require new media literacies beyond just text, right? So audio, right? The, the whole audio world. You know, I get up and I ask Alexa, tell me, give me my flash briefing of the day. Who's coding that? Who's developing that? Who's making Alexa work with my light bulbs? And all of those, those are all new medias. Alexa, remind me, send me an email. All those new medias that are evolving are going to force you to become much more competent, much more literate in a whole bunch of different mediums. I, I got an email today of a friend who's delivering keynote speeches through full-size holograms. He goes into a studio. And a receiver, so there's a production side, and a receiver at the other side produces, this is not the Jetsons, this is a full-size hologram of him, and he can engage and interact with the audience. You, do you really think that's far-fetched, and it's not going to come to you know, your office you know, fairly soon, right? Uh, next bucket, rise of smart machines and systems. So workplace robotics are going to nudge human workers out of some roles out of some repetitive tasks, but I also believe that reskilling them and redeploying them and upskilling them is going to be critical. Uh, I'm a guest on a podcast in a couple of weeks where I'm talking to uh, global CHROs about just that. How are you using uh, data-driven predictive analytics to upskill and reskill and redeploy your, your talent pool? Uh, last but not least, extreme longevity. Guess what? Increased global lifespans are changing the nature of careers and learning. Um, somebody asked me, do, you, I, do I ever envision retiring? I'm like, yeah, when I die. And I, somebody else said 120 is the new 60. Literally 120 years old is the new 60. So as we live longer globally, right, we're, gonna, we're going to want to work longer. And, and, and But again, 
the definition of work is changing. I may not want to work, you know, 80 hour weeks. I certainly don't want to travel extensively. So, so how will I continue to, again, create value if those dynamics are changing? And in a subsequent session, I'll dive into those a lot deeper in terms of specific skills, specific future skills that I think are going to be really important, really useful to you. Uh, but I want to make sure we stay focused on uh, this notion that technology is certainly going to replace. And and I had a professor at Emory who said this, Ben Kaczynski, and it stuck with me 20 years later. Hear me now, believe me later. Hear me now, believe me later. Technology will dramatically replace, displace, use whatever adjective you want, a lot of the mundane roles. Yet I believe it will create new roles to really create working with this technology, making sense of the technology, almost like a, a, a hybrid approach between the task, the mundane task, the functional tasks, and, and really the outcomes we're after. So uh, there's a lot of, I would highly, highly encourage you to look into this. By the way, I also believe the gig economy is going to take off in a, in, a, in a big way. I had lunch today with a good friend. She left uh, after a whole bunch of years in the corporate world she had a baby, didn't want to do that, you know, 70 hour plus weeks in the corporate. Uh, she works from home. She works on her own. In less than two years, she has replaced her strong six-figure income. Not only has had a second child, but both her and her husband also work from home. Uh, he is in different part, different industry, does not want to, he's a contractor, does not want to work for anybody as a full-time employee. They have their two kids at home and they have a caregiver that comes home. So the six of them, five of them, six of them are home pretty much together every day, different parts of the house. Uh, they come and go, uh, but it's now the new norm. Instead of, you know, dropping the kids off at daycare or kindergarten school and going off to the offices and nine to five, which doesn't really exist anymore, right? They have chosen this lifestyle, which, by the way, afforded them to get away for six weeks this past summer and go away as a family and disengage. And she told her clients and partners and friends, and listen, you know, I'll check in periodically, but I'm, in essence, off the grid for six weeks, and we're going to go really enjoy our life together. That's an example of the flexibility that I think the gig economy is going to bring to the table. And by the way, um, the Aspen Institute has done some really interesting, they have a future of work initiative and they've done some really interesting, they've got a gig economy data hub and there's some fascinating data that today the gig economy is predominantly ages of 16 to 25, then 26 to 35, then oddly enough, 46 to 55, then comes back to 36 to 45 then 56 to 65, and then very little 66 and over. It's also predominantly like 80% white uh, with 10% black, and then small percentage of, of American Indians or Alaska Natives, Hawaiian or Pacific Islanders, and, and Asians. So uh, it, it's also, by the way, uh, pointing to alternative workforces by industry. So the biggest bucket in gig economy is still business services. Think of graphic designers. Think of copywriters. Think of all the people that provide business services. Next is, believe it or not, construction. 
then education and health, then finance, other services, retail, manufacturing, hospitality, transportation. Those are the biggest industries. But we believe gig economy is not only going to continue, but it's going to become even more prevalent moving forward. So let me wrap up this session with just a a handful of, again, I'm writing in the book, jobs of the future. But let me give you a handful that we believe are going to be very relevant in the next decade. Uh, Let me start with a digital tailor. Have you ever ordered uh, your size of clothing and they show up and they don't fit? What we believe um, this role will evolve of people that digitally will measure and they become digital tailors. They become, you know, they imagine ordering the same clothes that that actually show up and they fit and they fit you because you work with a digital tailor. Uh, We believe uh, bring your own IT facilitator. Forget the days of, and I genuinely believe this, most of us have our own personal devices. Forget this days of a company providing the servers and laptops and tablets and all that stuff that A, become out dated very quickly. B, it's on the company's books. C, they got to keep up with it. Everybody has their own devices. What if there was an IT facilitator that helped you get those in a secure way on you know, access to the corporate environment, right? Almost like a concierge desk. You walk in, here's my device. They add whatever resource they need to it. And that role in some ways exists today. Um, how about a man-machine teaming manager? If you're going to work with AI engines, if you're going to become, if machine learning is going to become more and more part of your everyday life, somebody's got to help those two worlds, in essence, this hyper man-machine world, work well together. So let me give you a couple more uh, that I think will resonate. How about the chief trust officer? We're asking every organization. We're, in essence, giving permission to different platforms we work with to trust them. And there's inherent trust. Who's looking out for uh, the users of that information? So we believe this idea of a chief trust officer will become much more prevalent. How about AI-assisted healthcare technician? Today, if you go uh, and you get any kind of a healthcare service, think of something technical like MRI machines or CTs or any of those, you have a technician. As those uh, medical devices become more AI-enabled, you're going to need AI-assisted healthcare technicians. Here's one for you. Have you seen uh, augmented reality uh, experiences where you put on the headsets or glasses and you kind of walk through an experience? How about augmented reality journey builders, people who actually create those augmented reality journeys? We believe these are all examples of roles jobs. And in the book, I write extensively about a thing. I'm up to 25 or 30 of these things that I'm not just making them up, but as we see the convergence of AI and machine learning and a lot of these digital transformations, right? Uh, We talked about those different phases. We talked about uh, what I believe will be, uh, what's the present, what's probable, what's possible, are going to create new jobs. The challenge for you today is they're also going to require you to have very different skills, and very different competencies. And today is the day to start thinking about your personal professional growth journey. 
Think of curve benders as a roadmap. Think of it as your personal ways to really help you if you get a little more clear about where you're going. What will your professional growth look like, personal growth look like in the next two decades? How can we build that journey map? How can we build that ways for you now? How can you do it? And and what I really want for you is just like your finances or your kids or other things that are important part of your life, do not leave this to somebody else. Don't wait for an HR department. Those are really good people, but their best day is when nothing goes wrong. You've got to take more of an ownership of what does my personal and professional growth journey look like and how can I upskill, reskill, and, and really gain these new knowledges, these new competencies that are going to be critical to my success. So I hope this episode has been useful to you. I hope you'll continue to come back and listen to future episodes. Uh, again, this one was focused on future of work. Next episode will cover 15 forces that I believe are going to dramatically impact all of our lives. And then I'm going to really focus on curve benders. Who are they? Where are they? Uh, how can you find them? How can you become one? And I think this will set the foundation for some of the interviews and the research that I want to share with you. We'll post this on our podcast page, again, norgroup.com slash podcast, uh, as well as add show notes in our blog and add other resources you can download uh, and hopefully come along this journey with me as I research and write the book. Thanks very much. Make it a great day. Look forward to having you join us on the next episode. All the best. Bye-bye.